Good evening. Welcome to our evening service here at Grace Covenant Church in Dallas, Georgia. I'm Pastor David, your televangelist, coming to you from the church right now. We've uh, rearranged the setup this week uh, to try to allow some of you to at least see some of the sanctuary uh, in hopes that it would be an encouragement to you um, as we are going through the service. Well, this evening we are going to begin Don't know what that was. Hear now the words of our God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This evening, I want us in response to this beautiful psalm that reminds us of our ever-vigilant God who is always there watching, he is always there guarding, and he is always there keeping us because he never sleeps and he never slumbers. Let us respond this evening by reflecting upon the beautiful words um, of the, uh, the great hymn, The God of Abraham Praise. The God of Abraham Praise, who reigns enthroned above, Ancient of everlasting days, and God of love. Jehovah, great I am, by earth and heaven confessed. I bow and bless the sacred name, forever blessed. The God of Abraham prays, at whose supreme command, from earth I rise and seek the joys at his right hand. I, all on earth, forsake its wisdom, fame, and power, and him my only portion make, my shield and tower. The great I am has sworn, I on his oath depend. I shall an eagle's wings upborne to heaven ascend. I shall behold his face, I shall his power adore, and sing the wonders of his grace forevermore. The goodly land I see, with peace and plenty blessed, a land of sacred liberty and endless rest. There milk and honey flow, and oil and wine abound, the trees of life forever grow, my mercy crowned. There dwells the Lord our King, the Lord our righteousness, triumphant o'er the world and sin, the Prince of Peace. On Zion's sacred height, his kingdom he maintains, and glorious with his saints in light forever reigns. The whole triumphant host give thanks to God on high. 
Hail Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they ever cry. Hail Abraham's God and mine, I join the heavenly lays, all might and majesty are thine, and endless praise. Well, let's take a moment and let's pray to God this evening and ask for him to bless our time this evening together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our glorious risen Son, Jesus Christ, and our ever-present Holy Spirit, we praise you as our triune God, one God in three persons forever and forever. We praise you for the holy unity that exists within the bonds of the Godhead. We praise you that you are a God of love, and you have made us to experience that love as your children. Lord, we need your help this evening. We need the guidance of your grace and the wisdom of your word. We need this, Lord, as we continue to follow you as a church, a gathered group of people who are one in your life and in your love and in your mission, but at doing it as those who are separated from one another for a time. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to set aside the different cares and concerns that we bring into this service this evening, that we may have a brief moment together virtually here this evening to once again set our hearts and our minds upon you as our triune God, the love that with which you have loved us and that life that you have granted to us in the resurrection of your Son. Lord, bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, our Old Testament reading comes to us from Genesis chapter 17. I don't know if you have uh, realized it yet, but the last two services that we have done as we have been uh, doing these virtual services, I have used um, different Old Testament texts that speak to us of the covenant of grace. And so we have looked at Genesis 9. We have looked at Genesis 15. This evening we once again look at the covenant of grace through the lens of Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, 
As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. This is a wonderful promise from God to us, where God has bound himself to a, a, a people. He has put his name on the line by making promises to us, and not only to, to Abraham himself, and not only uh, to those who are of the physical lineage of Abraham, but to all the, who are God's people. In the Gospel of John, for our Gospel reading, listen to this exchange between Jesus and those who were asking him questions. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is a sobering passage from Jesus Christ that reminds us that the covenant promise of God is not tied to a physical lineage. It is not tied simply to what family you are born into, but that God's covenant promises are tied very specifically to his son, Jesus Christ, and to all those who are united to Christ by faith. It's very easy for us at times to take for granted what it means to be a child of God, or to be a part of his family. And sometimes it can be very easy to rest and to be assured on the wrong, for the wrong reasons. And so this evening, we're going to take a few moments of, uh, to uh, confess our sins. Uh, we will once again have a, a time of silent confession, um, and then I will uh, confess sins uh, for our congregation together momentarily. Take a moment now in private prayer.
Heavenly Father, have mercy on us as your people. We confess this evening how easy it is to forget your covenant promises, especially to forget the seriousness of what it means for you to have bound yourself to us, for the eternal God to have bound himself to a finite people, to have bound himself to a sinful people. Have mercy on us, O God, for we have taken your covenant lightly, and at times, Lord, we have even presumed upon your covenant, thinking that everything is fine with us simply because we are members of your church. This evening we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be reoriented to what it means to be your covenant people, that you would forgive us for taking your covenant lightly, and that you would forgive us, Lord, for presuming upon your grace. Instead, Lord, we ask that you would wash us from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin, that you, O Lord, would blot out our transgressions and not hold them against us. Lord, impress upon our hearts what it means for you to be our loving Heavenly Father and for us to be your children, that we would rest in the proper confidence that comes solely from the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that we would no longer presume upon your grace, but instead, Lord, help us to feast upon it, that we may actively seek over and over and over again to enjoy your presence and to be changed by it. Lord, hear our prayers and grant us your mercy as we pray ever and always through the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul helps us to understand in a better way, in a fuller way, what it means to be uh, one of Abraham's descendants. From Galatians 3, verses 7 through 14, we read, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does the law shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Beloved, if you are listening to this this evening, and you have set your hope on Jesus Christ and on him alone, acknowledging your sin before God and embracing 
that foreign righteousness that Jesus gives to all who will embrace him by faith, then this is the, sure, the assurance that we have as God's people. That the covenant promises that came to Abraham so long ago have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and they are now ours when you belong to Jesus Christ by faith. And so be assured once again of the gospel, what it means for us as God's people as we read from Galatians 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Beloved, if you have received Christ by faith and by faith alone, then you are justified before God. For Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to your account, and the penalty that you owed for sin has been paid as Jesus died on the cross. And in his resurrection, Jesus, now as your heavenly high priest, continues to plead the benefits of his work for all of his children, for all those whom he has bound himself to. And so this is the good news that we have in Jesus Christ, beloved. Your sins are forgiven. You're counted as righteous. And you are a child of God. This is the great news that we have from God through Jesus Christ and applied through the Spirit. And so let's respond this evening as we reflect upon the words of a song that beautifully capture for us this great news of what it means to be delivered from sin, accepted as righteous, and drawn into the family of the eternal God. We will use the words of the song, Come Praise, and glorify. Listen reflectively as, we, as I read. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ, he has in heavenly realms his blessings on us poured. For pure and blameless in his sight, he destined us to be. And now we've been adopted through his Son eternally. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory, you are the God who saves. Come praise and glorify our God who gives his grace in Christ. In him our sins are washed away, redeemed through sacrifice. In him God has made known to us the mystery of his will that Christ should be the head of all, his purpose to fulfill. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory, you are the God who saves. Come praise and glorify our God, for we've believed the word, and through our faith we have a seal 
the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit guarantees our hope until redemption is done, until we join in endless praise to God, the three in one. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory, you are the God who saves. What a beautiful story that we have in Jesus Christ, not only in terms of a general offer, but a specific fulfillment of God's covenant of grace. Well, this evening, for a short uh, devotional, I want us to look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. This past Wednesday evening, uh, we had a virtual prayer meeting. Um, we did it through Zoom. Uh, those link, that link was sent out. Uh, it was sent out uh, probably a little late uh, for some of you, but we will be doing that again this coming Wednesday evening. So be looking for that link tomorrow so that you have plenty of time to uh, be able to uh, install Zoom either onto your computer, your smartphone, your Chromebook, your iPad, whatever it is. There are so many different venues, and what it does is it provides us a face-to-face -face opportunity to interact with one another. And it was, it was fun to get to see some faces uh, and to hear some voices. And during the prayer time, uh, Jesse Bodie uh, in his prayer, he, he really emphasized um, asking the Lord for the peace of Jesus Christ. And um, it, it clicked with me as he was, as he was praying that um, this passage here in Mark 6, which is a passage in which the peace of Christ is, is, is not just described, but it is, it is set into this, be this beautiful setting that provides us a very tangible way of grasping hold of that peace. The title of the homily this evening is Pondering the Bread. Now, just to set up the, the context before we start reading, this is the passage that follows immediately after, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, where he miraculously takes uh, bread and fish, and he multiplies them uh, so that thousands upon thousands are able to eat and to be nourished as they were uh, those who had grown weak because they had come out to see and to hear the teaching of Jesus Christ. This was a miracle that he, uh, that he exercised as a, not only a demonstration of his lordship, but a demonstration of his mercy of his grace, a demonstration that the realities and the needs of this world are important even if they're not ultimate. Having food is important even if it's not ultimate. And so let's read these words this evening, uh, keeping uh, that, that in context that uh, the disciples have just watched and participated in this incredible, miraculous feeding of people. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. 
And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the bread, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening as those who have seen Christ in his word, as those who have seen Christ in the sacraments, and yet so often, Lord, in the everyday affairs of our lives, we allow the circumstances of this world to distort or to crowd out or even overwhelm our experience of Christ. And so reorient us this evening, O God, as we do feel like those who are out to sea, all alone, waiting for nothing but doom. O Lord, Help us to hear once again, to take heart, not to be afraid, for you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I was saying about Jesse's prayer the other evening, he set this this peace of Christ over against the fear that people are experiencing. And that is exactly what is happening, not only right now, Um, as people continue uh, to experience the negative effects of this rampant disease right now, as they experience it, those experience it with their health, if they have contracted it, those who have experienced it financially because of not being able to work, those who have experienced it emotionally because they are watching loved ones who have caught it suffer, those who have suffered psychologically because of the, the, um, the necessity of social distancing right now, which is helping to, we pray, stop the spread. But at the same time, it has a negative effect for people who feel lonely. There's a lot going on, and it's hard for any of us to say that we haven't felt the impact. Some have felt it way more. But all of us have indeed felt the effects of our normal everyday lives being completely turned upside down. It is as if we are out to sea and there's wave after wave crashing upon us. And things have gotten so difficult that we can't see the shoreline anymore. And so it's hard to get our bearings. It's hard to figure out what's that point on the horizon that I can grab hold to with my sight in order to have a better bearing of where I am in life right now. That is what is happening to the disciples as they are out to sea. 
Now, think about the general description of this story. They have just had this incredible, amazing, miraculous experience where they got to not just hear from Christ, but to see Christ in his care and in his mercy for people's earthly needs. He took care of them. He provided for them. They got the privilege of passing out the miraculous bread. They got the privilege of gathering back up this miraculous bread. And yet, even though they have just had this amazing experience, Jesus sends them off to go ahead of him. Go and prepare that next place where I'm going to come and I'm going to minister. I'm going to go and spend time with my Father, but I need you to go ahead of me and go forth and get things ready. This is an amazing privilege that the disciples have to be this inner circle of Christ. To be those who are sharing in his life and in his love and in his mission. And yet, that intimacy they have with him, those experiences of watching him, the wisdom of hearing him, and and the privilege of participating in what he is doing, somehow gets lost on them as they go out to sea. They, They start to go on this mission that Christ has sent them on. And as things get difficult, they get scared. It's a very normal human reaction to waves crashing upon your head when you're in the middle of the sea. When you feel like your life is in danger. The presumption of the disciples, though, which has led to their fear, is that the the miracle-working Jesus Christ, the all-powerful one that they have been living with, he's not with them. He's gone to pray. He's up on a mountain. They are out to sea, and the assumption that they have is that somehow they have moved beyond Christ's care or Christ's presence, that they have somehow moved beyond even his eyesight. And yet in a beautiful picture here in Mark 6, it is as Jesus is fellowshipping with his father that he looks down from on high and he sees the way his his people are being battered and bruised. And he sees their reactions to what is happening as fear is growing. And what we see is that Jesus cares. He doesn't leave them out in the middle of the ocean by themselves because they were never by themselves. They were always being watched over by their heavenly Father and their Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus and the Father were always with them even though there appeared to be a distance. See, this is what we've been looking at over the last few weeks here in these virtual services as we looked at that reality that this disease is part of the fallen world. It's part of the fallen creation. 
And yet, as a disease that is part of the fallen creation, as God has created things, God is still in control of them. He is still overseeing things. He is still moving history to his appointed goal. And a disease as horrendous as the coronavirus is, is not going to stop God. And that is because God is not just the one who has made all things. He is the God who providentially watches over all things. He is not away at a distance. He is there watching. He is there overseeing. He is, he is moving things and he is guiding things. He is actively involved in what he has made. He is, as we, said, as we saw, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And as we saw last week, quite often this presence that is manifest in absence, it is a presence, it is a leadership in which he doesn't just oversee and watch out for, he goes ahead, he goes in front. And that we as his people are led by these footsteps that are unseen. And that's what we've been looking at over and over and over. The temptation of either allowing our lives to be formed and shaped only by what we see, feel, touch, hear, and taste. Or are we by faith going to understand that as real and as important as those things are, there are things that are of greater importance, there are things that are more ultimate. And the question that you and I have, the same question that the disciples had in the boat that evening, was which are we going to allow to determine our response? Now notice what I said there. Which. Which circumstance are you going to allow to shape the way you live? So often when I hear different people talk about things like don't live according to your circumstances, sometimes it makes me want to go crazy in my head because they're only talking about part of the circumstances. The question for us as the people of God is not are we going to live according to our circumstances or not, the question is, which circumstances are we going to live by? Are we going to only live or primarily live by the circumstances that we can touch, hear, smell, and taste, and see? Is that, those, is that set of circumstances what we are going to determine the way we live in this world? Or are the greater circumstances of the eternal realities of God and his covenant and the promise that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that promise of presence, that promise of being adopted into God's family, that promise of having a heavenly father that cares for us and oversees us, are those circumstances going to be more determinative for us in how we live. The issue is not don't live by your circumstances, it's which circumstances are you going to live by? It's so easy. I heard this morning when we are faced with trials like this, when we are experiencing the negative realities of continuing to live in a, in a, in a fallen world, 
as those who still have sin. It becomes so easy when we are faced with a trial to become for, to become um, fortune tellers and to become prophets. To think that somehow on the basis of what we are feeling and experiencing that we can predict the future. That's what the disciples have done here. They have predicted their doom. They have assumed that God is not with them. They have assumed that they have departed from the sight of Christ. And they have become convinced that they know what's about to happen to them. And the reality is, beloved, that they were wrong on all three counts. Just like you and I are so often wrong in the in not what we experience, but the interpretive grid that we use for understanding our experience. Beloved, the greater reality that this text sets before us is not simply that Jesus is on a mountain watching his disciples as he has sent them off on a mission, but Jesus watches over us from the heavenly places as he lives at the right hand of the Father, as he lives in constant prayer with his Father, praying even for us. That as they watch over us, not simply from the top of a mountain, but from the heavenly places, beloved, we are never outside of his of God's sight. And we can never get outside of his control. And we can never get to the point that we can determine what is going to happen in our future when God has already set that in place. For us, what we are to do is to repent of these things and to grasp hold of something that we can touch that we can taste, that we can smell, that we can see. For me, the, the whole crux of this passage turns on verse 52. This strange statement. This is not just simply an encouragement to take heart, be not afraid, Christ is with us. But notice the weird statement in verse 52. They were astounded. And the reason that they were astounded that Christ, or first, first of all, what were they astounded at? They were astounded that Christ was appearing to them walking on the water. If they had not just had and participated in the experience of the feeding of the 5,000, I would say, you know what? That makes sense to be astounded at that. But notice what the text says. They're astounded at that because they didn't understand the bread. They didn't get it. They had seen it. They had participated in it. But it had not sunk into their guts they had not reflected on it. They had not allowed the feeding of the 5,000 as they watched Jesus hand out this food, as they gathered up the scraps. They had not allowed that to sink into their guts and become the more determinative circumstance for how they were going to follow Jesus Christ. They didn't get it. Because they didn't spend time reflecting and pondering. 
hearts, we are told here, were, were hardened. This does not mean that they were unbelievers. It just means that their hearts were not able to grasp the realities of what they were experiencing. They weren't able to really embrace and, and understand and perceive and then live their lives according to the greater, more ultimate circumstances that were bursting into their lives through the supernatural, miraculous presence and activity of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we as a church, we practice the Lord's Supper where we here at this church month after month at other churches I've pastored it's been week after week but we handle a bread we handle a bread that is consecrated for a specific purpose in presenting to us the presence and activity of Jesus Christ not simply what he did in the past but what he is still doing right now and what he is going to do in the future. And we hold that bread, and we can break that bread, and we can smell that bread, and we can taste that bread, we can see that bread, and it is a token to us and to our senses that Jesus Christ is with us even though it appears that he is absent. And so, beloved, as we continue to follow Christ in this weird time, where we feel the, the greater, more acute awareness of distance. Distance from Christ, distance from one another as we're practicing social gathering. Let me encourage you to take time this week and reflect on and ponder the last time we received communion. And the time before that, and the time before that, and the time before that, and let the reality of the bread and the presence and activity of Jesus Christ sink deeper and deeper and deeper into your gut. Not just the, through the food you ate, but through the realities that the food is communicating. Let that sink into you so that you can remember what it was to touch and to see and to smell and to taste that bread and to know that God's covenant promises, this covenant of grace whereby he has bound himself to us, he has fulfilled through his son so that we are no longer slaves to sin. This is not simply talking about the penalty of sin. We're talking about sin's power. As God's children, we are no longer under sin's power. We no longer have to fear when fearful things are present. But even if we do respond with fear, we certainly do not have to remain frozen by that fear. Because, beloved, if you are in the Son, then you have received 
all things you have received as we will Lord willing one day get into Ephesians all the blessings of the heavenly places in Christ and that is the greater reality that shapes and determines who you are and how you live even in the face of something like the coronavirus whether through you personally experiencing it or you having to watch someone else suffer with it. Beloved, Jesus Christ is with us, and we know that he is with us because we have held the bread. Beloved, Jesus Christ is actively engaged with us, and we know that he is actively engaged because we have received the bread. Beloved, Jesus Christ is watching over us this evening, praying for us to his Father, and we know that because we have received the bread and so in your response to coronavirus this week continue to embrace the covenant promises of God and reflect on something concrete reflect on something you have held reflect on something that you have smelled and have tasted ponder beloved the bread let's pray Our Heavenly Father, it is so easy in times like this to allow lesser things to become more ultimate. And so help us, O Lord, to affix our faith on the greater circumstances and not to give in to setting them on the lesser. Lord, help us to embrace the greater reality, the fuller reality that heaven itself And the realities of the eternal triune God have come to us in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we give you all thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. That you do care about our earthly cares, our earthly concerns, our earthly problems. You care not only for the eternal and the spiritual, but you do care about the temporary. You care about the finite. And so we pray, O Lord, this evening as your people, that you would continue to manifest your goodness and your mercy to the congregation here of Grace Covenant Church in Dallas. We praise you, Lord, that so far we have not received any reports of our members becoming sick with coronavirus and ask that you would continue lord to protect us especially protecting those who are more weak and those who are who are at greater risk lord we pray that you would continue to to um, give confidence and hope to our people so that we would not get sucked down by the by the mire of this weird reality in which we live right now, but instead that we would so fill our hearts and minds with the greater realities that we could be as your people, even individually as your people right now, Lord, that we could be the hope that people need, that we could present the hope of Christ as we embody the hope of Christ in the way that we Do not give in to fear, but instead we allow that peace of Christ to baptize us afresh every day. Lord, we pray that as your people, you would continue to provide us and that we would take 
those opportunities to serve you and to serve our neighbor in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, not only for this church, but we pray for all the churches. We pray for all the ministries. We pray for all the missionaries, both here and around the world, that are striving to be light in the midst of this darkness. Father, grant to them what they need physically, what they need for food and clothing, what they need with regards to money and support. Grant them what they need, Lord, emotionally and spiritually as they are away from family members, as they are living in foreign lands. Give them what they need, O Lord, through that presence of Jesus Christ and his active presence, Lord, as he watches over those whom he has sent on mission. Lord, we pray for the sick this evening. We pray especially for those who have contracted the coronavirus, and we ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to ease their symptoms and that you would be pleased, Lord, to bring many through that sickness back to health. And we pray, Lord, and ask that if it be your will that you would bring this to an end, that you would uh, provide... Uh, those who are doing medical research, the wisdom that they need to develop medicine to help us fight this. But that, Lord, as you work through them, that we pray and ask that you would just cause this to finally flatten the curve, that we may move forward as a society and as we might come to grips with the new reality in which we live for the foreseeable future. Lord, we pray for the medical personnel who are taking care of people, who are watching over people. And we ask that you would give them the strength and the energy that they need to continue to press forward on these, on these front lines of dealing with this illness. But Lord, we pray for the medical uh, system itself. As there are more illnesses and there are more diseases, there are more things to deal with than just coronavirus. Lord, we pray for our governing officials and we ask that you would grant them wisdom, that they would be humble and seek your face, that they would pray, Lord, and that we pray that they would come to the end of their ropes, that they would not uh, re rely on themselves, on their own strength and their own wisdom, that they instead, Lord, might come to the end of themselves and call out to you. Lord, we need wise governance right now. But we also need, Lord, a citizenry that will respond. And so we pray, Lord, that we, you would help people to take this seriously and that we might... Strive to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering emotionally and psychologically because of the social distancing. We pray, Lord, that you would find ways for us as your people to seek out and to find those who are lonely, that we could bring to them a comforting word, that we could bring to them the comfort of Christ. We pray for those especially, Lord, who don't know you, that this would be a time, Lord, where you would show yourself through a church that responds with love and with courage. We pray, Lord, that you would grant our, our members opportunities to share our faith because they see our hope. And Lord, we pray for all of these things, always remembering that Christ prays for us and that he has taught us how to pray. When he said, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, let us respond this evening by reflecting on the words of the hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Listen to the end of this first stanza and be encouraged. Guide me, O my great Redeemer, Jehovah. Pilgrim through this barren land, I am weak, but you are mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain where the healing waters flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, ever be my strength and shield. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, ever be my strength and shield. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises, songs of praises, I will ever sing to you. Songs of praises, songs of praises, I will ever sing to you. Well, let us renew our profession of faith. We have heard from the Lord, we've been renewed in the gospel, and we've been encouraged to live out that gospel as we respond to what's going on around us, not according to the circumstances of this, of this world, but living according to the circumstances of the world that has come in Jesus Christ. To renew our profession of faith this evening, we will use words from Psalm 121 and Psalm 4. The last lines coming from Psalm 4 appropriate as it is evening. Let's profess our faith. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let our feet be moved. He who keeps us will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord will keep us from all evil. He will keep our lives. The Lord will keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You have put more joy in my heart than others have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Well, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be in a world without end. Alleluia. Amen. Beloved, there are going to be opportunities this coming week uh, with a prayer meeting on Wednesday evening through Zoom, so be watching for that email. I also sent out an email Friday letting you know that we have now figured out the Zoom technology, and I am available to meet with you face-to-face, at least virtually speaking, um, and to 
be able to have some visits. So far, one family has emailed me and told me that they'd like to do that, so I'm excited about that opportunity. But please, uh, email me. Let me know of your availability. We may not be able to get together in person, but we can still get together through technology. And so please, let me know um, if you're available and if you would like to do that, um, and I will set that up. It's absolutely free, and the technology is pretty easy to use. Well, as we go, oh, also, we're coming to the end of two weeks, two full weeks of having been practicing social distancing. I would imagine that some of you are starting to run low on food or other uh, things that you need. If so, if you would like help with that uh, and you're afraid to get out on your own, please don't hesitate. Uh, contact me or contact J.B. Pritchett. Uh, we have people here at the church that have already said they're looking for ways to help and to serve. If you need someone to go to the store for you, let us know and let us give us that privilege of serving you and helping you out. If you need something else, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to me or to the deacons. Let us uh, take care of you uh, in, in ways that we can as we continue to try to move forward as God's people. Well, as you go forth as God's people, in the sure confidence that God is a very present help in times of trouble and that he leads us through footsteps that are unseen, go forth to ponder the bread, to reflect on that presence and activity of Jesus Christ that has been presented to us in the Lord's Supper. Go with his blessing, receive it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. I think I heard it. Good night.